Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Rest and Recovery Podcast. This is episode 42 with Kim Hildreth. She's a professional volleyball player on the ABP Tour, and we get into a little bit about volleyball. We talk a lot about mindset and preparation and how you practice gets you prepared for the game. She digs into how she and her teammate, when they practice, uh, go for every single point as if it's the last because there is very little margin of error. I think it's a great lesson in life where uh, we can over or undervalue each moment and it's around mindset and how to approach things and to be able to persevere through it. We also dig a little bit into health coaching, the need and requirement for for everyone and uh, talk a, a bit more about the sport of volleyball. So listen in oh and we touch on nutrition as well don't forget about that one key to her improvement in the game and dialing in her nutrition through the use of the cgm levels so thanks for listening remember to subscribe rate and review thanks well welcome kim thanks for joining me on the restroom recovery podcast thanks for having me um, you know, I'm really interested to to learn about what you're doing on the beach volleyball tour um, and really kind of, I mean, I played the sport growing up. I grew up at the Jersey Shore and played it, but I never fully got into like understanding the system and the, the professional leagues. So it'll be interesting to, to learn about that, but also um, what y'all do for, for workouts and recovery. Um well, we that, how did you get into, how did you get into, like, I, I read that you're a Midwest. So how did you get into beach yeah. volleyball from the Midwest area? Um, so there's quite a good volleyball community in, in Michigan where I grew up really? and, uh, yeah, the indoor community is super strong, uh, and outdoor, usually a lot, most people will play like grass fours, grass threes. And, um, but yeah, I just kind of started playing grass and, couple of the girls who play grass saw me um, playing grass and kind of were like, hmm, she might be a good beach player <laughs> and uh, invited me as a total newbie to come play. Really? Um, yeah. Awesome. So uh, Vicky and Kelly were the ones who got me into it. And then uh, Steve-O Vanderwerp used to be a really good ABP tour player. Um, and he was always an advocate for the beach volleyball game in Michigan and him and his dad really supported me in my career as I was getting started as a, as a Michigan player. Cool. So you played indoor in college? I did. I played at Eastern Michigan university. Okay. Okay. So what was it like transitioning going from, you know, the indoor sport to the outdoor? Like what were the the transition elements to that? Um, I think everybody's biggest issues when going indoor and beach is just that you think it's the same game, but it's really, totally different like the structure and the organization of the indoor game uh is like gone as soon as you go outside like it's like street ball all of a sudden is it really uh, is it like but at the like highest level beach volleyball it's not it's not street ball there is a system there is mm-hmm. organization um but that switch is probably the hardest part for a lot of people um i think for me my skill set always kind of lent me towards being a beach player Um, I always had, you know, like good court vision, good ball control. I always loved, like I was a setter indoor and uh, optioning on two is my thing indoor. So on beach, it was like perfect. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I think just like the total lack of like structure for most people when they first start playing beach is like really hard for them to grasp. Yeah. Cause it's only two of you on beach, but 
it's what six for indoor, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I see a lot of people really struggle with like the attention that you have to have when you play beach. Cause like you said, it's like only two people. Right. So in indoor, you only have to touch the ball once a rally, maybe right. um, like if you're one of the, like you might not touch the ball for like five points in a row, but in beach, like every single rally and even just like serving, like you're one of two servers. So you're so much more than you would indoor. Right. So like that kind of attention to detail and like level of focus, I think gets people too. Yeah. Yeah. There's nowhere to hide in that one. Uh, No subs in beach. (laughs) (laughs) So um, when you're dealing with, with that, what was, um, what do you do for preparation? Like what does a workout look like um, in the sport of volleyball? Yeah. Um, well, I think specifically for beach volleyball, uh, you got to work out in the sand. You can't get around it. Um, you know, I think it's important obviously to be in the weight room and to have a certain amount of like lifting where you need to push your body heavy. I think I've seen a lot of variety in beach volleyball players and a lot of people have success with a variety of workouts. Um, but I do definitely believe in like lifting heavy weights at some point during your season. Um, but then you got to get in the sand. <laughs> you got to do sprints in the sand. Uh, actually, my coach had us uh, pulling tires in the sand this morning. Oh, so really? <laughs> my Instagram soon. <laughs> document that one. Um, but yeah, you want most of your workouts uh, for most of the year to be like really explosive um, and, and lend towards, you know, quick release activities. There's definitely a certain time of year that you kind of try to slow down Um work on some compensations that you have or, or weaknesses, um, and then try to put a little bit of weight on. But in general, I think most beach volleyball players aren't trying to be thick, you know, you're trying to be light and fast on the sand because it's hard enough to run already. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You got the, yeah, the the grounds are not exactly in your favor. No. (laughs) Um, so how long have you been playing in the tour? Um, I've been playing professional beach volleyball for six years now. Um, I started playing on the NVL tour, the national volleyball league, um, which unfortunately went under as a tour, but my first, uh, three, maybe four seasons on the tour, um, had a lot of success on the NVL. It's most, it was kind of mostly an East coast based tour. They actually had one in Jersey. Oh really? Um, Yeah. A couple of years back. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I was really enjoying like a lot of success on that tour and it was close to home and I was still learning and growing as a player. Um, and you actually couldn't play both AVP and NVL at the time. They kind of like butt heads. So, uh, okay. I just played NVL. And then when the NVL folded, obviously I was like, all right, next stop is the AVP tour. Um, so my first full season on the AVP tour was in 2018, okay. uh, with my current partner, Sarah Skirmerhorn. uh, we had a season where we like literally were so close to success and would lose every match by two points. Like we oh, really? with the top teams, like we lost to, um, at the time, one of the top teams in the world, uh, the Brazilians, Maria Antonelli and Carol Salgado, we lost them in a nail biting third set match. Um, and then kind of figured out how to get those two points in 2019. We had a great year, made a final together. Um, this year was kind of a crapshoot where I'm still like, you know, right. A little happy that we just got to compete at this point. Yeah, just um, be outside and play. Yeah. But yeah, but we're kind of, we got a little bit of a routine back. We got kind of a schedule now that at least in Florida, things are a little bit more normal. Um, getting so straight. So. Question on that first year when you, you were like right there, how did y'all, what was the kind of the mental 
I guess, recovery after that, kind of the after action review, like what did y'all go through to assess, Hey, like confident we're right there, but why didn't we close, you know, get there kind of thing? Yeah. Um, that's an interesting question. We really had to do some work working through that. Um, honestly, if I had to like sum it up, I think the whole season we kind of had accepted already in our minds, like that we were a really good team, but we weren't ready. So I think like mentally we were holding ourselves back the whole year because if you look at the game that we played, like we were there with everybody, like we could literally hang with anybody in the world. Um, But like just that like mental, like we're okay with this kind of thing. And then I think going through that for a whole season, uh, actually the first tournament of 2019, the Huntington beach AVP, um, we made it to the game to get in. We were playing two girls that we knew like the back of our hands and we were so confident. Same thing, lost a close one. And after that tournament, we kind of looked at each other and we were like, we are not doing this again this year. (laughs) Like we're better than that, you know? So I think it was just like a mental switch of like allowing ourselves to have success. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, that's a, that's a huge piece of the mental game. Um, on anything that you do physically or, or in your career mm-hmm. that, that you do belong there, that acknowledgement. And, uh, for sure, you know, I guess, you know, that's an appropriate though. The W was you're in there playing the AVP that first year. Right. Yeah. So you're like, Hey, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then you realize we can that compete and we can win. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So then right, literally right after that, after we kind of had that conversation, I think we came back to practice. Like Sarah loves to say, like we played to win in practice every day, like every point we played to win, like it was the last freaking point we could ever play. And then um, the 2019 Austin open was our best tournament of the season. And we went through a really grueling, extremely competitive qualifier. Um, and we came into the main draw and didn't drop a set until the finals. <laughs> uh, went straight through the winner's bracket, beat some really, really talented top-level teams. And uh, I think, you know, by the finals, we played a team that was a tough matchup for us, but also just totally out of gas <laughs> at that point. Um, but, yeah, no, it was a, the mental part of our – season I think that's something we were struggling this year too like 2020 really got us mentally I think like just yeah. feeling prepared for the tour so um looking forward to kind of getting back to our 2019 mindset in 2021 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> aren't we all I think that's yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, a broad statement for everybody right now for sure. yeah um, so for preparation what does that look like during a week like do you train six days a week um um I don't on It depends. Like in Florida, we have a lot of tournaments. Um, So I would say almost every week I'm touching the ball like six days a week. Um, So a lot of the training is playing. Is playing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's pretty awesome. I think it's a really good opportunity to like, you know, you paid money to play the tournament. There's money on the line. You're playing against people you don't want to lose to, you know? So um, we definitely take that, take advantage of that. Um, if we don't play a tournament, then generally like five days a week. Um, most of the time, Sarah and I don't need time off. So we just kind of keep at it. (laughs) (laughs) So what, uh, what do you do, excuse me, for that recovery element in between, um, games? Uh, how do you, how do you prepare yourself? Like in between games at the tournament or like in the week? 
in the week, in the week and the end yeah. games, but we'll start with week. So like during the week, um, I think it's super, I mean, number one, first and foremost is sleep. Like I don't mess around with sleep. Anybody that hangs out with me knows like, um, me and my husband are total grandmas. We go to bed. <laughs> like we literally go like are like at eight o'clock, we're like, all right, we're going to bed soon. And then, but usually by nine we're asleep. <laughs> um, oh. And I think having like a really solid sleep routine has probably been the most important thing for my recovery and my career. Honestly, like if I don't stretch, if I don't roll, if I don't, you know, ice bath, whatever, like sleep and, uh, having been in a really good routine, um, for a while now, I think that's the biggest thing I notice when I don't have it. Um, almost like feeling hungover the next day if I don't get enough sleep. Um, so definitely my number one, uh, you know, stretching and rolling for sure. I think right after practice, getting that stretch in before you cool down is like super important. There's definitely a difference. I think in my body when I've, uh, neglected to do that and how stiff I am the next day versus yeah. when I just do it right away, right after practice. Um, and then I think part of my recovery is also just a really good warm up. Um, which is something I totally took for granted when I was younger. But now that I'm almost 30, I <laughs> kind of get like a mini workout or like yoga session in before every practice. Yeah. Uh, it's easier to recover afterwards for sure. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely test it a last part where it's uh, running, but I would, I would just go out and put my shoes on, run yeah, and then take them off it. and go to work. And that was it. Yeah. It was no warm up and cool down. I'm a little bit older than you, but uh, <laughs> I've definitely noticed the same thing where I, I have to warm up beforehand. And I had this mindset, like the warm up that's, if it's too much, I'm going to tire myself out or something. Yeah. yeah it's for really sure. not. You're fully prepping your body to be able to, you know, accelerate at the level that you're trying to get to. Yeah, for sure. Actually, at, at one point I was just like, well, it's making me a better athlete overall. Right. Like I'll just get my workout in before practice and yeah. like I'm still getting stronger. Add your um, endurance in there. Yeah. But I think it came out to what you said. Like, I think I just started noticing that I'm not tired of practice. I'm actually like performing better at the beginning of practice um, and feeling better overall. So, yeah, that's awesome. So I had, uh, I was talking to a friend who was in volleyball, did indoor in college at uh, USC. Oh, nice. So um, I'd asked him any questions and he would ask about, uh, and his daughters coach or play now and he coached anyhow how do you prepare like in game mentally and physically kind of recover between sets and games? Yeah. Um, that's an interesting question. I think for our sport too, because there's not many other sports where you play like multiple matches in one day. Um, so it's pretty tough. Like the mental part of it to like bounce back if, if you lost or if you had an extremely, like this, uh, in 2019, Hermosa beach open, um, we, uh, lost in the second round and it's a 24 team draw. So that means we played two matches the first day. Um, and then we had, we played four the second day, which is oh, like wow. crazy. Yeah. And our first match of the day, we played Sarah Hughes and it was, um, we beat them in two sets but it was over an hour long. Like the rallies were just incredibly long. Like nobody could fall away. And so, and then we had three more matches after that. Um, so like, I'll never forget, like after that match, thinking about what you just asked me, like the most that's ever hit me in my career is like, 
we have a long day ahead. Like I need to make sure that like I'm mentally and physically like ready to go for every match for the rest of the day. So I think the physical part is honestly like the easy part. Cause you're kind of used to it. You go to the player's tent, you eat some food right away. Like it's super important to eat carbs and protein, like right after your match so that um, your body can kind of get, get all the fuel back that you lost. Sure. Um, hydrate, obviously um, electrolytes big time, but yeah, we just like do that and throw our legs up on the wall in the player's tent. Um, the mental part is a lot harder, I think, especially like four matches in one day when you're already tired from the previous day, like to stay uh, with the highest amount of attention in the game that you can sure. uh, when you've mentally been doing that already for a really prolonged period of time. I think all that comes from how you practice. Um, I think it's from how you work out. Like, I think if you train yourself to have a very high level of attention when you're really tired, it just becomes a thing that you do. But when you train yourself that I'm tired, you know, and I'll miss a rep here or like at the end of practice, I'm not hitting the balls like the way I want to, or Mm -hmm. I'm shaking balls at the end. Like that's where you start to see that like mental gap, I think in, in like the professional level of a sport and not, yeah, you're kind of preparing for that um, that last little bit, right? If it's a tie match and you you need to be on it for that last point, or, yeah. or sports, you know, running down the court and you want to be able to throw up a, a, a crisp jump shot or you know a solid kick or pass mm-hmm. in football, whatever that is. Yeah, you want to be just as good. You gotta as train first. yourself to care enough to be that focused all the time. Yeah, that's that's I never thought about it, and I obviously didn't know, but like four matches, like you said, that's grueling physically (laughs) Yeah, the mental Christmas plus whatever hangover you might have from the previous match, depending on how they went. Right. Um, Yeah. Emotionally too. I mean, that match against Syracuse was very emotionally draining. I mean, it's in Hermosa beach. Like she lives there. She grew up there. She's a USC grad too. So like she had a buttload of fans watching, cheering super loud. We were definitely not the uh, home team advantage in that match. And uh, so, you know, to bring enough like energy ourselves to like support our team because all the energy around us was against us. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Like is a really emotionally draining and, you know, for, for everybody, we all have like our limits. Right. So, I mean, even in the next, I think our next two matches, like we were pretty low, like, we just kind of went out on the court and like put our head down and like tried to get stuff done and like be yeah. very like methodical about it. Grind but there's times it. when emotion changes the momentum of the match, you know? So like, yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's definitely part of the game. Yeah. So would you say the emotion, like if in say one of those two, mm-hmm. you're kind of just plodding along, getting it done. Were there moments where something strong happened and you just like, erupt and like all right and that give you that kind of second or third or fourth wind in this case (laughs) yeah I mean I think there's definitely like times in the match where you know if my partner does something like incredible it's just like a celebration right it's just like natural like oh my gosh you're awesome that was so fun this game is so fun but then I think the harder part is is if those moments don't happen you know like it can happen naturally and then all of a sudden it's easy but like if the other team is getting all of those moments and you're getting none and you're already really emotionally tired, like then like creating that energy, just like it's fake, but it's necessary. You know, um, that's the harder part. I was even like one being able to 
identify that that's something that your team needs and two, being able to like pull it out of nowhere, you know, um, I think it's really helpful to have a coach for situations like that. But for a lot of beach volleyball professionals, we don't have coaches on the AVP. Oh, really? It's just yeah. the two of you. Yeah, it's just the two of you. I mean, almost every single match I played in my professional career, I have not had a coach on the bench. But you have you have trainers to help. With- I have a coach at home, uh-huh. uh, but usually they don't come to tournaments with us. Oh, okay. Just, it's expensive to bring them and this is not a lucrative sport. So, <laughs> um, but on the FIVB on the international tour, uh, coaches are not allowed. So your coaches who usually come with you, those top teams will like usually bring their coaches with them when they travel, but they're not allowed on the bench. So, um, yeah, I think it really, especially for beach volleyball, almost more than any sport I've ever seen, because every other sport you get so much support, right? Like you see, right. there's like 20 coaches, like, you know, um, but yeah, you're totally on your own. So I think it really requires like a really high level of emotional intelligence and patience to succeed. That's a great leadership lesson, I think. And in, in the one part you mentioned on kind of discerning when you no, need to kind of manufacture it, like sensing the environment at the time, even though it's just two of you to be able mm-hmm. to kind of just rally up. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's it's interesting too, because... Uh, you know, I think I've been doing this long enough to, to have some experience at seeing other players do it or trying it out myself. Um, I think my partner responds really well to energy. I think it's very easy for both of us to like autopilot, taking it seriously, kind of being like lower energy and just like very methodical about it. Like we get in that groove where I think I can thrive, you know, pretty high level volleyball, like playing like that. Um, and so can she, but she plays better and probably me too. When I bring more energy, you know, like if yeah. she can be her, her like stable, 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 but I get really excited. All of a sudden it makes our team go up for some reason, you know, and then yeah. sometimes you play against players. You start to notice on the other side that their confidence starts to drop. You know, if you get, you get a little more energy, even literally, even if it's fake. So it's, it's just a really interesting like psychological game Yeah, that some players are excellent at and some players have no idea exists. <laughs> so <laughs> that that's kind of a funny comment, but uh, they didn't yeah. know this, but no, I mean, that's, it's just, yeah, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, the mental game and how much of it yeah, and the emotional aspect of it. And, you know, you talk about, um, you can sense the the change in the tide in games and things of that nature. It's definitely sure. in the air. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's a multiplier effect too. It's not just because all of a sudden you're, it's compounding, like you said, for you, your team, but also the other, de- other team feeling you're, they're like, well, why do they have their stuff together now? A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, why are they so confident? The game's not going their way. And then all of a sudden the game is going their way. And right. that like tip of emotions. I mean, that's the, the coolest thing about the sport is like, at the highest level, like everybody loves to say this, like at the highest level, you only need to win by two points in beach volleyball. So literally the other team can side out every single time you can serve and they can get the point and then just trade side outs for the whole match. You only need to get them to make one, one mistake, right. Right. To get that point split. And then at the very end you get one more. So two mistakes is the game. You could literally play perfect. And that's kind of what happened to my team in 2018. You could play perfect volleyball. Perfect. And that's what we would do. And then we would make two errors when it mattered. <laughs> wow. So yeah, like I think the emotional intelligence part of the game is, is 
absolutely how some of the top players succeed. And it definitely points back to your practice mindset mm-hmm. um, in preparation for it is that you play, you practice every point matters because mm-hmm. there's very little margin of error yeah. allowed. Yeah. If you allow yourself space to not be focused um, in practice, it will happen in a game. And that's, and it'll, the game will be over before you know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it makes me think of the quote. What is it? Um, I think it was Lombardi. It's a game of inches. Apparently, he's referencing football, yeah. talking about the the small things matter. Uh, yeah, they add up quickly. Definitely. So, what what are some things that you're looking at doing now to kind of level up your game? Whether it's your total health and strength. Uh, I noticed you're doing levels. So, um, maybe tell me a little bit about the motivation behind that. Um, levels was a happy accident. (laughs) Um, one of my really good friends, uh, is a doctor and, and I, I believe that he just is friends with Josh, who's the um, founder of levels. Um, so my good friend, Ron introduced me to the, to the product because he was using it. Um, and we, he's like part of my fit fam. We (laughs) do workouts (laughs) together and, um, you know, just generally like surround yourself with people who are motivated. Right. So, um, yeah, he would always be checking it and like showing us what's up and he's a doctor. (laughs) So he would kind of like explain like what's happening and I was like, wow, that is totally interesting. And so, uh, you know, reached out, I reached out to Josh and was like, Hey, I'm a professional athlete. Like this would be so great. I'm so interested in, in learning more about my body. And honestly, like total game changer. Like I, they like could forget about me levels and never like say anything about me ever again in my life. And I'll still preach that like everyone needs to use this product because like, I didn't even expect to learn anything, you know, but I really learned, uh, like the way I eat, the way I recover, the way I sleep, um, was totally impacting like you can see it, right. It's like the way that you eat. So let's say I didn't really have a hard day of, of training or anything. And I have a kind of a carb heavy dinner. I will literally go hypoglycemic overnight and not rest as well. So I was using levels and whoop at the same time. And so okay. you can see your recovery and your and yeah. track your sleep really well. So, um, yeah, my like worst recovery nights were high carb, <laughs> like, wow. You know, crazy dinners, right? So if I have like pasta for dinner or something, um, if it was like on a day that I play or like I'm competing, it's kind of a, it's kind of a null, like the harder you work, um, physically, like your body, you know, it kind of like levels, you can pretty much eat anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, your body takes care of it. It needs all that energy, but, uh, yeah, like, and the way that I would start my day, like I used, I, I think Sarah and I, um, you know, did an Instagram live with Josh talking about our experiment. And, uh, he mentioned too, like, he was just like chronically tired. And I just was like, always like, I'm active. Like I'm coach, I'm training in the morning. I'm coaching in the afternoon. I'm working out. Like, so of course I need a nap in the middle of the day. Like who sure. wouldn't, but ever since using levels and realizing like what I'm eating first thing in the morning was literally like causing me to crash. Same thing. I would be hypoglycemic by like noon because of what wow. I'm eating in the morning. Um, changing that around. Like, I mean, I literally used to plan my day around a nap. <laughs> like I would wake up for practice being like, when am I going to get time to nap today? And like, that is totally gone. Like my life does not, I don't nap anymore. I don't need to because, uh, 
my energy levels are a lot more stable just from using the levels product. So yeah, it's a pretty crazy experience for me. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. I I just, I'm on my second or my third week. Okay. And, um, yeah, it's definitely illuminating. Now I'm trying to figure out, all right, what do I do to fix it and rectify it? Cause it's still constantly tweaking it. It's like, mm-hmm. how do I, how do I do this better? Yeah. Um, and, and dig into that. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And there's like all kinds of hacks too, that I learned about, about like how to, cause you need carbs, like as a beach sure. volleyball player, like there's plenty of athletes, especially like someone like, I think Josh is a runner and like he posts a lot about on, on the levels, like, you know, doing fasted runs and stuff like that is not an option for beach volleyball practice. If anybody ever tries to do a fasted beach volleyball practice, you will not get the most out of yourself. It's a Mm -hmm. high intensity. uh, It's a high intensity sport. You know, it's just not the way your body works to run on like fat reserves during practice. So you definitely need carbs, but um, learning how to like manage them. So you keep your energy levels high was really key for me. So just like balancing carbs with fats and proteins, the order that you eat food. So if you eat your fats, proteins, or fiber, fibrous foods before you eat your carbs, kind of levels out your spikes. Um, vinegar helps if you have vinegar. Like, so some people like to take drinking vinegar. vinegar. Yeah. yeah, I experimented with that. Trader Joe's actually has some drinking vinegars that aren't like, like, cause I can't do apple cider vinegar. It's oh, just no. like a gag first thing in the morning. So uh, <laughs> yeah, Trader Joe's has some drinking vinegars that I tried, which totally helped. Um, portion sizes, timing, like taking your time to eat the meal instead of just like yeah. crushing it really quick before practice. So um, all kinds of stuff. It's like, I could totally nerd out on that forever. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely interesting. And um, Levels had a comment about that too, is like pairing foods, like the food pairings. Like it's not just a cool way to taste good but there's actually some things going on in your body that it yeah. work well together. Like chemically. Yeah. 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 It's really interesting. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. just the, the nuance and the deep going back to the details. I mean, the details matter on, like you said, like just eating the same meal and maybe flipping it. Yeah. Uh, as to when you eat the, the carb or the fiber. Yeah. Um, and then honestly, it, I think it translates right into the game. I mean, the, the worst thing you want in the middle of the game is to feel fatigued, right? So if all of a sudden, because of what you're eating, you're crashing out in the middle of the game, like that is the worst case scenario. Um, and, you know, it's also been uh, shown with like dips and glu- spikes and dips and glucose levels, um, just like clarity, mental clarity is like a huge uh, side effect of a glucose spike and drop. So. Yeah. <laughs> again, worst thing that you want in the middle of a game that requires really high levels of attention and focus. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I did notice that, um, for myself where I ate something, I don't even remember what it was, but all of a sudden I just felt like cloudy, yeah. uh, just not on it. And then I, I checked it and it had spiked way up. And then I had like a beeline straight down yeah. all around that time. And I'm like, I just, shot way up like a bottle rocket and then came crashing down. Yeah, for sure. So interesting to like get that direct biofeedback Yeah, and start to learn. I mean, cause now, now I don't use levels, you know, it's like not something, I mean, if I could, I would use it all the time, but you start to learn your body. And like now when I'm, it's like 11 AM or like 12, you know, it's noon and I'm like getting tired. I'm like, it's probably not that I'm tired. It's probably that I'm having an, you know, an insulin response and my body's like leveling out. So 
what can I do to kind of re-energize myself? Like maybe go for a walk or maybe just start my workout right then or like hit some caffeine because I know it's not that I'm just like need a nap. (laughs) Well, and I similar experience too. And the other day, what I did was I just felt so tired and I shouldn't, I felt like I shouldn't have, but I just was exhausted and it was 10 o'clock in the morning. So I went out of my driveway, put a chair down, put my feet on the ground and cup of coffee and, and sat in the sun for like 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And did some grounding, did some sun, and I felt great the rest of the day. Yeah. You do the sport for passion. It's mm-hmm. not a, a full-time job. Unfortunately, most of us do not get to call us our full-time job. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I saw you're a holistic health coach. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I do health coaching. Um, definitely... I mean, I've always been volleyball coaching and I still do some of that too. Um, but especially with the pandemic and everything, I think, um, it just started to become really important to me that, you know, I know how to make behavior changes. That's like literally what I've based my whole career on. And I've had a coach my whole life. Like how many people do you know who've had a coach their entire adult life? Like it's pretty rare, but all of us, kind of know, like you would never just like throw your, even as like a high school kid, like a mature kid, you wouldn't just like throw them on the court and expect them to get better at something. Or we didn't just like throw them in the classroom and expect them to get better. Like teachers make people better faster. Um, so I just kind of was, was ready to, to dive back in and like start to really help people make behavior changes. Um, because I think there's, a serious epidemic of people being really unhappy with their body, with their mindset, with their health. Um, not even just like, you know, I think on a higher scale, like, and you know, I'm doing some continuing education to like be able to work with people who are diabetic and obese, but, um, there's a lot of people that are really unhappy with their lives and I, I know how to, how to help with that. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I, got a little bit more passion and uh, started working with clients to help make some serious um, life changes. Yeah. I think that's phenomenal. I mean, that's kind of the, my own personal experience and the genesis of starting this podcast on restaurant recovery is kind of the thing you mentioned earlier is just felt tired and, you know, half jokingly say, I can't remember my thirties because of sleep issues and small kids and whatnot. But there's so many people out there that I just, as I had those conversations about myself, learning about others, that same thing. It's like living the 80, 85% life. And we've just accepted it. That's it. That's, that's okay. Yeah. It's not. For sure. And I think like the thought of change is so hard for people where as, as a professional athlete, like you literally like are constantly trying to change. (laughs) Like every day you're trying to change a little bit to get better. So it's so it's, it was so foreign to me, like probably even like five years ago to look at somebody and be like, what is wrong with you? Like, why can't you make this change? Like, it's not (laughs) hard. Like, but then I had to take some perspective and look at myself and be like, you've literally been practicing this your whole life. And some people have never had any kind of guidance or practice, or even just like validation that they're good enough to make that change. So, um, yeah, it really inspired me to, to be that validation for people to be that partner and, and be like, you know, most people have the power within them to do it themselves, but to really like make it happen and make it last, I think is something that, that I feel really confident in and just helping my clients do that. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's a, it's a great mission. I think it is highly needed 
And because um, we only get one of these, we get one life. Exactly. And, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I hate, I mean, most of the people that I start working with are like, I look back and like, I'm really unhappy with my 30s. I'm really unhappy with my 20s. Like I want to make my 30s, 40s, 50s, like the best years of my life. And I'm like, cool, let's not wait anymore. Like, what are you waiting for? <laughs> let's do this. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, um, I am grateful for your time. I, it was a really educational conversation and, and fun to understand what you're doing in volleyball and, and just the sport in general. Uh, you know, my, my tour experience was the local bar at the beach in Jersey. <laughs> and there, Which is uh, always could, great. And that's why I love the sport so much because everybody yeah. can play the sport and have fun. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was a great time. I loved it. Yeah. Um, but I like to close things out with a couple questions. Sure. Um, so what are you reading right now? Ooh, um, I just started a new book. Let me look at the title of it. Um, I just finished, uh, I love Michael Pollan. I just finished his In Defense of Food, um, which is a book about um, how health has become like this industry, right? Like it's nutritionism as he calls it. And um, that if you were to look back, like even 50 years ago, like it was not hard to be healthy 50 years ago. It wasn't hard. Like you would walk into the grocery store and the only things available to eat were pretty much fresh stuff. Um, you know, you go to the meat section, you go to the produce section, uh, somebody baked bread, you know, but now it's so hard because you go into the, into the grocery store and there's like three aisles worth of packaged stuff and all of it's telling you it's healthy. Um, it's a super interesting book. Um, and then I'm starting this book called the anti-diet, which is, uh, very similar, uh, recommended by a good friend of mine. Um, and just talks about how, um, it's, it's like kind of an intuitive eating book and, um, how diet culture is so subtle that pretty much everybody in America probably has a little bit of an eating disorder and like disordered thoughts that we have, um, about food. I mean, I think everybody could relate to hearing this as like, how often do you think about, did I eat too much? Did I not eat enough? Oh, like judging yourself or like planning, like, Oh, I know I'm going to even, I did, I even did it today. Like my husband's, um, my mother-in-law is coming over this weekend and she's like, Oh, I want to take you guys out to eat. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. So on Sunday, like I'm going to crush dinner. So I should plan to like starve myself for the day. And I'm like, wait, no, I should not do that. Like eat when I'm hungry, stop when I'm full and life isn't as hard, but that it's kind of about that like thought process, which is totally, totally wrong. I mean, but, but we're all used to it. Yeah. We have some kind of filter and judgment, like you said, on what we eat when we eat. It's like we feel bad. On almost every decision we make, right? Yeah. About food. Yeah. Like I, you know, and I was talking about this today uh, with some friends is the 80-20 rule. I think I thought saw Max Lagave, I think that's his right, um, said something like that, 80%. And just like eat 80% of your meals healthy, you know. Yeah. Grow it, kill it, whatever. But then some of the other things, enjoy life a little bit have the sweet thing occasionally, yeah. but go out and have dinner. For sure. Yeah. If you don't like that craving is coming from somewhere and if you just pretend it's not there, just like everything else in life, it's not going to go away. (laughs) (laughs) You can't just like pretend that stuff away. Like it will still be there. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, so what are you listening to right now? Music or podcast? Um, 
I have been, well, you said, what am I reading? So I was technically audiobooking those. That's that, what that I'm qualifies. listening <laughs> I would never quote unquote read, but yeah. Um, I mean, I love reading, but sure. I, I, audiobooks are great. Cause then I can just go for a walk and listen to it. Or I listen to it while I work out. Um, you know, first thing in the morning, I do love, um, NPR has, uh, two really nice podcasts. I think that are very relevant to me that I listen to a lot. Hidden brain is one of them. Um, I just listened to the one empathy gym, um, which is really cool and invisibilia. That's always a good podcast. Okay, cool. Yeah. Those are new to me. Um, so what is your go-to rest and recovery method? Uh, the easiest one feet up on the wall. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. I think that's the simplest one that's yeah. just you know, help to drain the, the lymph and everything that builds up in your legs when you play drain the lymph. Yes. An under discussed area for sure. Um, and I, you know, yesterday based on the recording of this, I just released a, an interview with Dr. Perry Nicholson talking about um, lymphatic system and the importance of it. And, uh, anyway, sidebar conversation for another time. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kim, thank you so much for your time and, uh, best of luck to you on, on the tour. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay. One thing that I'm learning with reclaiming my own health is you can't really know how to fix it without measuring and understanding yourself and the results. And so a tool I've been using lately is BioStrap. It's something that has really helped me to understand myself a little better in the science and the numbers, and then being able to share with my mental practitioner uh, some of that baseline information BioStrap uses and has created their device to be in par with medical grade devices. And so it's critically important to measure accurately the metrics that are measured for our health. And so I would really encourage you to take a look at BioStrap. If you're looking at any kind of wearables, this is the one to look at. They have uh, the Evo, which is the new device. It also has the armband strap for active uh, or activities. And then also it has a shoe pod. So it does a great job of measuring a ton of information and especially what is the holy grail right now around heart rate variability as well as other things and some, some detailed reports that they can provide. So I would encourage you to check out uh, the link in the episode notes here. And also you can use RR podcast as a discount code. There's a 10% discount for those listening and choose based on listening to the rest and recovery podcast. So thank you so much. Be rest to be well. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of the Rest and Recovery Podcast with Kim Hildreth. I trust you got a lot of information on nutrition and mindset. It was a great conversation and I took away a lot from it. If you did or know someone who could benefit, please share far and wide. Our our job and our goal at the Rest and Recovery Podcast is to educate, equip, and empower those with information to make better health decisions. And if you did get some value out of this, I would ask that you please rate and review five-star preferred, but please be honest. And this helps us get the word out further in the iTunes and other podcasting platforms. 
Thank you. And remember, be rested, be well.